0: revealed the three-word question consuming the world's biggest brains. I saw this newspaper headline uh, recently in the Guardian newspaper. Um, They had asked people whom they suggested were among the smartest people in the world, um, what was keeping them awake at night. The the three-word question consuming the world's biggest brains is this, who are we? So very thoughtful people are struggling to understand, uh, to come to terms with the question of of what a human being is, who who are we, what are we uh, called to be and to do. If three words are too many for you, then perhaps a single word captures many of the aspects of this question. Uh, more than any generation that's gone before us we're struggling with the question of human identity. Thanks, Neil. Identity. We didn't always struggle with identity the way we do now. It used to be that if you asked a person who are you that would have sounded like quite a simple question and they'd be able to answer the question with some confidence. They might say I'm an accountant, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm British, I'm a Protestant, I'm a man, or, or whatever. In the past, being able to offer answers like this went at least some way to helping us feel that we had an answer to the question, who are we? But all of a sudden, it seems that answering that question's become much more complicated, confusing and stressful. So in an era of economic uncertainty and career fluidity, it's not quite so simple as to say I'm an accountant. It might be more accurate to say I once trained as an accountant or I'm working as an accountant these days. I might change my mind about that in the future or my employer might change my mind for me and make me redundant. My teenage kids brought this home to me recently, they told me about a careers class in school and they were told that the average modern worker should expect uh, between 5 and 15 career changes throughout their lifetime. When it comes to this question of identity, we might say I'm a, a husband, I'm a father, I'm a daughter, I'm a mother. And. That would be natural because our closest relationships play a great part in shaping our identity. But again, in the space of a few generations, this has become much more difficult for us. Families increasingly disintegrate. Marriages break down. Kids live with single parents or move to far corners of the world. These days, it's not so easy to feel entirely stable Even in our own families, all of of this can leave us feeling less and less certain of our identity. If my family breaks down, who who am I then? It used to be that one aspect of our identity at least was secure, our gender. I'm a man. I'm a woman. Our gender seemed to be a non-negotiable building block, our identity. Not anymore. We live in a time of growing gender dysphoria. More and more people born with male sexual characteristics choosing to identify as female and vice versa. Those born with female uh, are choosing to identify as male. It's a complex area but for now just notice the language. It's all about how I choose to identify about identity and again we're back to our big question who am I over the next few months we're gonna take some time in our evening services trying to answer that question who am I or, or rather who are we and we're calling our series recommissioned becoming the people that God wants us to be we're going to be answering this particular question so if you listen carefully What does the Bible as a whole in both testaments have to tell us about why the people of God exists, what they're supposed to be and do in the world, and what their mission is? For any ways in which we as the people of God have lost sight of our identity and our calling and our mission, we want to be recommissioned. I consider this a good time to be coming to to this question and a topic like this. It seems to me like the leadership here at Hamilton Road are are very attentive to God's spirit at the moment, trying to to discern what his calling on us is, what his purposes for us are, and I sense a, a similar hunger and willingness in the congregation to hear God afresh as we discern what he's calling us to be and to do. This series won't be like most of our series. As you know, most of our series here are uh, what I would call systematic expository Bible teaching, where we work our way through a book of the Bible or a section of a book. This is going to, this course is gonna take the form more of a Bible overview. I don't know when you last had a sermon series here at Hamilton Road in the form of a Bible overview. Uh, I do remember teaching one previously at Kirkpatrick Memorial based on a book by Vaughan Roberts. Uh, the series focused on God the King and his son Jesus Christ and how Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. We, we might say that that particular Bible overview was majoring in the question of the identity of God Who is God? What does he tell us about himself and his kingdom? It was a great series. Uh, Maybe we'll get a chance to, to study something like that here in the future. The series we're beginning this evening takes a different approach. If that series was a Bible overview focusing on the question of God's identity and purposes, we might say that this series will be a Bible overview focusing on the question of our identity and the purposes God has given us. If the first series focused on the God questions, who is this king and what's his kingdom like, then this series will focus more on the, the our questions. Who are we as citizens? And what's the life that we're called to? Same glorious story but from two different perspectives. Hopefully that helps you to position this series a little bit. If you haven't understood a word of what I'm talking about so far, don't worry. It it will become clear as we go on. I want to spend just a few more moments introducing our theme and then we'll spend the remainder of our time moving into the first topic in the series. We're talking this evening about our identity as the people of God. And I want to say two things by way of introduction. First of all, our identity is God-given. And secondly, I want to say that it's a shared identity. We're going to answer this question, who are we? But we're not going to do it in the way that the, the academics gathered up by the Guardian did it choosing their own authorities or maybe sharing their own insight and wisdom. That's not what we're gonna do. We're gonna answer our question only from God's word. And that immediately gives away our big commitment. We are the people of God. If we're gonna think about our identity, we want to know what God has to say about that. We believe that our identity is God-given. We want to understand as well as possible the identity that God's given us so that we can live well for him in this world that he's created. By the way, just in case you haven't spotted it, there's a lovely freedom in this way of understanding our lives in the world. If my identity is God-given, then I don't have to start from scratch and Form an identity for myself. If God has told me who I am and what my purpose is, then I don't have to manufacture a calling for myself. I can relax. I can get on with learning from him who he's made me and called me to be. And just as there's a lovely freedom in learning to accept her God-given identity, I would say there's an arrogance at play when we reject or deny God's purposes for us. I would argue that that's true of any person, whether they yet know God through Jesus Christ or not. The prophet Isaiah gives this arrogance a graphic form when he asks, Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? Of course not. Any wise creature knows that it has a creator. Any wise pot knows that the potter holds the key to its purpose. Only the potter knows why the pot was made. Even more so, says Isaiah, does the living God know what his purposes are in creating you and me? We'll understand our identity only when we receive it from the living God. We'll find life only to the extent that we step into the flow of our creator's purposes for us. We need to be recommissioned to become the people God wants us to be. What are the Creator's purposes for us? Well, I'm not going to preach, actually, a sermon on that passage, which Neil read for us. Do do open it for a moment, Ephesians chapter 1, page 1172. Paul's writing to a bunch of Christians very much like you and me. And he begins in verse 3 by telling them, what God's already done for them. He's blessed them with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's what he's done. He's chosen them before the creation of the world. That's what he's done. He's made them holy and blameless in his sight. He's redeemed them from the power of sin and death. He's adopted them into his family. He's forgiven their sins. He's lavished grace upon them. That's what he's done. That, that's brilliant, Paul. It really is, but, but why? What's this all about? What, what does God intend with all of this? Wait a minute, Paul says, I'm coming to that. It's all about Jesus. God, the king, is preparing a kingdom to hand over to his son. We read in verse 9 of the mystery of God's will which he has purposed in Christ, which is, second part of verse 10, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Jesus. There it is. God's purpose for the entire created order is to gather it all together and to give it as an inheritance to his son. I'm part of the all things in verse 10. And so are you. This is where our deepest identity lies. Throughout these Throughout this series, we're going to learn about different aspects of our identity, how God's revealed them to us, but but this really is it. We're part of the church, the bride of Christ, the new creation, which God is preparing for his son. The second thing I want to say much more quickly about this God-given identity of mine, of yours, is that it's corporate God, you see, rarely treats us as individuals and certainly never leaves us there. He has created us as persons for community. In this series where we're going to be thinking about identity, this is going to be a call from me to we. You'll see that in the title we've given the series, but also in the title of the sermons to come. It's not so much... I'm a person who does X as we're people who do X. Maybe this is a good point to give you an outline of where this series might take us. We're going to learn what it is to be a people who know their story, people who care for creation, people who bless the world by walking in God's ways, people who are redeemed for (coughs) redemptive living, people who represent God to the world, people who attract others to God, people who know the one living God and Savior, people who bear witness to the living God, people who proclaim the gospel of Christ, people who send and are sent, people who live and work in the public square. We're going to look at the first of these characteristics of the people of God in just a moment. But as Niels said, we're going to pause our our teaching and learning just there. In the 1994 uh, movie, Reality Bites, with Ethan Hawke, Winona Ryder, and Ben Stiller, it's a, a movie that beautifully captures the zeitgeist of Generation X and my young adult years. I, I rewatched it recently, uh, I watched it back then, rewatched it recently, and it worked out that these guys were 22 years old at a time when I was 22. So it felt like, a oh, that, that feels like my, my story right there. At one point early in the movie, the heroine, Lelena, L- L- tells her new boyfriend, Michael, the TV executive, I'm making this documentary about my friends. But it's really about people who are trying to find their own identity without having any real role models. Or heroes or anything. Twenty-somethings trying to find their own identity. Apparently that was already a thing in the, the 1990s. Actually the opening scene hints immediately at where the, the movie's going. Lelena has is just graduating. She's been invited to give the valedictory speech at her college graduation ceremony. And partway through her powerful, rabble-rousing speech, a gust of wind comes along and blows her notes off the lectern. And and they they fly miles away, entirely impossible to, to recapture them, to recover them. And the imagery speaks volumes. She's literally lost the script. She's speaking for a generation that has lost all sense of identity, that has no answer to the question, who are we? A generation that has no story to live by. This evening, we're starting this new series, Recommissioned Becoming the People That God Wants Us to Be. And you'll see that our first thing that we want to think about is a people who know the story that we're a part of. If that sounds like vacuous language or something trivial to to you, uh, forgive me, but it's a huge issue. We live in a town full of people and I have a sense that they haven't a clue what they live for and what story they live by. And that's where a lot of their troubles lie. It used to be that more and more people did have some sense of living as part of a bigger story. For many people in our culture, that was the story that you and I recognize as the Christian story. But a lot of people have lost their way and they've lost their, the story that they live by. Before we get into the actual biblical story of my identity and yours, I want you to think with me about the importance of the biblical story in our lives. Alistair MacIntyre, the Scottish philosopher, in his seminal book, After Virtue, had this to say about the importance of story. I can only answer the question, what am I to do? Or we might say, who am I? If I can answer the prior question of what story Or stories do I find myself apart? Do you see what he's saying? If we're going to be able to answer the question, who are we? We need to know the story that we're living by. I think he's on to something. Because we all live by a story or a medley of stories. It's these stories that we choose or if we're not careful, the stories that choose us that will determine how we end up living our lives and what kind of people we'd end up being. I'd suggest that that's why the Bible comes to us not as a list of articles of faith that we're to subscribe to, so much as a story that we're to find our place in and to live in. Maybe you're not convinced. Well, let's let the proof of the pudding be in the eating. Let's first of all notice that the Bible has one overarching story. And then let's see very quickly what difference it would make to our lives if we believed that story or didn't. So I wanna take a few moments, give you a synopsis of the whole story of the Bible. I think I can do it in five minutes. Set your timer, have a look at your watch and see how I get on. (coughs) Let me start with one picture. I'm suggesting that we can understand the story as a play with four acts of creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. The first act tells the story of creation. The Bible tells us that this world is a place that God created in love, with great care. The narrative goes on to tell us that when he created the world, he stepped back and he said, that is good. That that is really, really good. And we're told that God created us human beings with a unique capacity of connecting with him, the creator, and a calling to rule this world in love for him. So the Bible story of creation tells us a lot about our human identity. The second act in the biblical story tells us the story of the fall. It explains how we got from that beautiful world that God created to this this mess that we find ourselves in and experience these days. You see, Humanity rebelled against God's loving rule, and as a result of our evil and sin, our relationships were all damaged. I find myself talking about this a lot these days here at Hamilton Road. Our relationship with the world was damaged. I'm sure you don't need me to spell that out anymore. The the huge variety of ways in which we're at odds with our created order. Climate change, plastic in our oceans, Our relationships with each other have been damaged. Uh, We can talk about that on a, a macro scale, the wars that we see all around us, or we can talk about it in a micro scale, what's going on in your home and your family and in your friendships. We all struggle to relate well to one another. As we rejected the harmony that God offers us in our relationships, our relationship with ourselves has been damaged, anxiety, depression, mental illness. I think we somehow imagine that those are modern phenomena, or that they've come to the surface because of the COVID pandemic. I I see it differently. Uh, I wonder if we may just have better understanding and more nuanced language for problems that we've experienced that are as old as humanity itself. All these broken relationships, they find their cause in the one key broken relationship. We talked about this this morning, our broken relationship with God. The Bible story of the fall helps us to understand the dark side of our humanity. It's a pretty bleak picture we've painted so far in these first two acts isn't it if there's going to be any good news it's going to have to be very big good news for such dire realities and the good news is great news it's that god didn't give up on his beautiful creation in spite of the fall the whole story of the bible pretty much from Genesis four onwards tells us of this third act, this redeeming work of God. It tells the story of what God's done to redeem the world, to buy it back. You'll see that the symbol on the screen is a very simple one. It's of a cross. Because the redemptive work of God culminates in the cross of Jesus Christ. If you're regularly here with us here at Hamilton Road, if you were here with us this morning, that won't surprise you to hear me say that. Jesus' work on the cross and it alone makes possible the reconciliation of us with God, the restoration of all those other broken relationships that we've been talking about. The cross and it alone makes possible The Redemption of the Whole Created Order. We'll see more of that throughout this series. After creation, fall, and the redemption won by Jesus on the cross, the closing act of the story of the Bible, Act 4, is that of a new creation. The Bible tells us that God's creating a new heaven and a new earth. Isn't that what we read in Revelation? The voice from heaven assures us, I am making all things new. Some people think that we're working back towards the Garden of Eden. We're not. We're working forward to something better. The world that we're moving towards is this world with all the bad stuff taken out and the good stuff left in. We started, you see, in a beautiful garden, but we're not going back to a garden. We're going to something much more beautiful, a garden city inhabited by millions and millions of people who know and love the Lord, a place where all of us will enjoy life together with with God who's redeemed us. If you've never read them before, read Revelation 21, 22 before you go to bed tonight. Your heart will soar with longing for the new creation, for what God's preparing for those who know and love him. There it is, the story of the Bible in five minutes. How did I do? It's roundabout. Tim says it was okay. The first thing I want to say as we start this series about our identity as the people of God is that we're people who know the story that we're part of. I want to tell you something. Please don't hear this the wrong way. I've become persuaded that churches are full of people who don't know this story. They know bits of it, they've heard parts of it, but they don't know and they don't live out of this whole story. My particular concern is that the first two acts are not well known. I don't know that a lot of people understand that God created this world a beautiful place full of purpose and meaning. I don't know if we know that. It's as though the story begins with the fall. I don't know if people remember how the story ends, the great purposes that God has for us. I don't want to try and fix everything in a few moments here. I'm just saying, don't assume that we know this story and live it as well as we, we could. I think I think we could learn here. And that's why I, I want to, to do this piece of work. It really matters that we know and believe this story. It matters that we understand everything that the Lord teaches us about who we are. If we're going to live well in this world for god's glory we've got to know the whole story let me spend a few moments thinking with you about how believing this story could change your life and mine the bible says that i've been created by a loving god and given cosmic responsibility That gives me a dignity and a purpose that I simply won't ever have if I'm an accident of evolution. That's what most people in Bangor believe about themselves, that they're here because evolutionary processes randomly generated their existence. Knowing that I'm created in love, with great care for great purpose, changes everything. And so I ask you, Do you believe that? I don't mean in some sort of general way. I mean for you. The biblical story reminds me that I'm fallen. That helps me understand all the ways in which I'm in broken relationships. It helps me to take responsibility for what's broken in me, and to to begin to look for some help. It stops me from imploding when somebody points out my faults to me. When somebody points out my faults to me, I've learned to say, you're disappointed with me? Well, join the club. So am I. But I have a creator loves me. Who's created me with great dignity and purpose. And who's restoring me. And I'm okay. I'm okay. So the Bible tells me that I'm created. But that I'm fallen. But it has much more to say about me than that. It tells me the wonderful news that I am redeemed. I am not written off not because of my weaknesses and my frailties because of my worst thoughts and my worst deeds the cross of jesus christ shows me that i'm much more wicked than i would wish to admit the problem's so big that it needed this kind of an intervention but it shows me that i'm more loved than i ever dared to dream friends that message is so countercultural. Do you know that we live in a world, it's robbed people of something? People are told nowadays that they shouldn't feel guilty. Uh, you know, whatever it is you're carrying, don't, don't feel guilty. That's the wrong way to think about it. Friends, I think that's the, the biggest disservice we could ever do a person. The truth is if we don't allow that a person feel guilty, if we don't allow that a person understand that they're sick, what we do is we cut them off from the possibility of cure and of healing and we leave them where they are. The gospel of Jesus Christ says something very different. It says you're created in great, great dignity. You've fallen from that, but you're being redeemed. The doctor has come and he's ready to cure you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's, that's the story that we're part of. I'm not only redeemed from sin and death, I'm being made new, I'm part of the new creation. And that means I have a hope and a future. What's our biggest problem in Bangor today? It's the, the thousands of people who, who can't get a day started because they feel so hopeless and so despondent. I believe that God is at work in this world and at work in me to make all things new. If I'll let him, he'll make me new. And he's already at work to make me more and more like his beautiful son Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Do you believe it? You're a new creation. That's what Paul teaches. You're not going to be a new creation, you already are. The work's underway. Friends, this is our story. We must learn it. We must get to know it. And then we must really live it. And if we can, and to the extent that we do, it'll change everything. I want to talk for the last few moments about how you relate to God's word. We we want increasingly to be people who know the story that we're part of. We don't want to just know it; we want to live it. This might sound strange, but one of the keys for our transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ—one of the keys in my view, for us to really learn and grow as Christians is to change how we relate to Scripture, how we even think of it. I have a sense that I was grown up, I grew up with this idea of Scripture as a body of truth, something like a textbook. And the idea was the better I knew the content and the better I understood it, the the more it would transform me looking back on it, it feels to me like that metaphor serves best for passing an exam. The the more I know the content, the more I understand it, the better I'll be able to write the paper or or the essay. And that seems to me why it would be possible to to come along to a church like this, hear lots of biblical sermons, but not, not really be underway with the transforming. So there's something important about how we relate to Scripture, and I want to talk to you about that for a couple of moments. Let me offer you an image for the place of God's Word in your life. I think once i began to think of Scripture in this way, it really helped me. Imagine for a moment that you've found a long-lost play by a famous playwright. It's a play in four acts. You quickly flick through it, but you notice there's a problem. Act three, scene two is missing. It's not there. How are you gonna act out this play? How would you even go about it? Well, if you were really committed to the task, you'd do what any skilled actor would do. You'd get yourself as familiar as possible with all the material in the play that you do have. You'd pour over and enter into Acts 1 and 2. You'd want to know how the story began. You want to be clear about how it proceeded. You'd pay a lot of attention to Act 4, how this story ends. You'd you'd study Act 3, Scene 1, right up until that point where your, your script is blank. The better you familiarize yourself with those parts of the play that already exist, the better placed you'd be to enter into and improvise and play your part. I've offered you that illustration as a way of thinking how the Bible relates to your life of Christian discipleship. The Bible, we said a moment ago, is a play in four Acts It's a play that tells the story of God, the world and you and of me, our lives. And there's a part of the story that's still being written. There's room in this story for us to take up the script and to play our part. Act two tells the story of creation and of the fall. Act three, scene one tells the story of the the redemptive work of Christ already seen and recorded for us in scripture. Act four tells of a time in the future when God will finally bring about our new creation. This is our story. But we live between the times of act three, scene one, and act four. We live in the times where Jesus has begun the work of the new creation. His redemption has already been achieved on the cross. But the the new creation has not yet finally been realized. It's as if we live now in Act 3, Scene 2, Christian history, in the times between the, the first and second comings of Jesus. So our question, and the question we're going to try and answer in this series, how are we going to live in these times? It won't be by believing a set of abstractions about God. It won't be by trying to keep a list of laws, whether you go for the 10 commandments or the 600 more commandments that some of the Jewish leaders found in the Old Testament. It will be by familiarizing ourselves with God's word his great story, and asking the author himself to empower us by his spirit to step onto the stage and to live the lives he's called us to, to play our part. We will live best if we know the story that we're a part of. What are you gonna do about that? It's January, time for New Year's resolutions. If you've finished 2023 or maybe moved through most of 2023 not, not engaging with God's word, maybe it's a good time to think about that. How are you gonna come back, find your way back into story of God's Word. Friends, you need to hear me. We're a Bible teaching church. Even if you come to both of our services, you'll get 50 minutes of Bible teaching each week. It's not enough. That will not make the story of God's Word the story of your life in the way that I'm talking about here this evening. I want you to to go to God's Word for yourself between Sundays. Find a way to do that. Talk to me about it. Uh, I'm not going to be prescriptive. I'm not going to tell you you should do X, Y, or Z, but I'm going to encourage you to do it. One thing that you might consider is is book by book, the the thing that 50 of us or so do here, we read the Bible together one book at a time. Uh, We have these outlines to help you do that. You could speak to me about that if you you wish to to join in with that movement. Let me finish with a a call to committing yourself to God's purposes for you. I'll do it by the way of a story. In his biography, Chris Froome, the four times Tour de France winner, uh, winning cyclist, I should say, he, he tells a story from his youth. He grew up in Africa. At a time when he was living in Kenya, when he was an up-and-coming cyclist with a team called uh, Team Barla World, he received a phone call from one of the greatest cyclists Africa had ever known, a guy called Robbie Hunter. Robbie Hunter left him a voicemail, and in the voicemail he simply said this, I'd like to talk about your plans for next year. I just love Chris Froome's response. Robbie Hunter wanted to talk to me about my plans. I quickly decided that whatever his plans were for me, they would become my plans. Isn't that just brilliant? Friends, the living God each one of us every daughter and son he has in Jesus Christ he says "Christoph, I'd like to talk with you about your plans for this week and month this year and the rest of your life if only we approached that offer with the same sense of excitement and, and anticipation as Chris Froome did if only we'd respond like Chris Froome Lord whatever your plans are for me, they're my plans too. Friends, let's get to know God's story. Let's get to know what his purposes for us are. And let's commit ourselves to nothing less than a life of aligning our lives ever more and more with his purposes for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the the good news of the gospel. We thank you for what we celebrated around the table this morning, that in your grace you have acted to reconcile rebels into relationship with you. Lord, forgive us for the times when we have acted as though that reconciliation was the end of the story. Lord, your word shows us that it's only the beginning. To be reconciled into a relationship with you doesn't mean that we then fall back into lives that are almost the same as they were before. Lives that are inseparable from the lives of our neighbors who don't know you. No, Lord, you've called us to a life of of purpose and adventure. Lord, be with us these Sunday evenings as we learn more about what our identity is, what our calling is, and, and what your purposes for us are. Help us to to learn what they are but even more to allow you to draw us into them by your spirit for your glory we pray amen